Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast which takes you inside the biggest clubs, the biggest stories in world football and also brings you expert insight and analysis on the issues that affect the game. Today I'm pleased to say I'm joined by our transfer guru, Mr Duncan Castles, but even more delighted to say that we're also joined by someone who is someone who Duncan and I have known for a long time and uh, has, uh, let's just say he's been a bit of a chameleon in recent years in terms of uh, changing his, uh, his particular role in football. He started out um, at, a bit as an administrator uh, in, in, in football, founding the Scottish Premier League back in the late 90s. He's also been on several UEFA committees in that role as well. And now has managed to turn himself into an advisor and investor in sports business. Roger Mitchell, how do you do it? Long time no hearing, how are you? Very good, very good. And all the better for hearing you from the lovely um, town of Lake Como. Yeah, actually, uh, before the SPL, we should... Um, actually, this is really cool for me because this is a little bit how I started when I did um, Italian football for Sky uh, before uh, Stuart Cosgrove at Channel 4 stole the rights. So, you know, I did something like this on a regular basis for about a season. So this is um, a return to the past or the future, as you say, for me. Brilliant. Well, but listen, we're all, all about going back to the future. Um, so that's good for us as well. No, I'm, um, I'm delighted to be on this uh, with you and Duncan, because I think you've done a great job uh, and I've got my kind of like sports content strategy hat on here. I think you found a really good position for this podcast. The numbers show that. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, just take, scrape what's ever on, on, on the papers and, you know, make a podcast around it. You guys won't speak about anything unless you've got some real solid insight on it. And I think people recognise that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that I felt really comfortable coming on because you're not, you're not going to take flyers. We're not charlatans or even the charlatans. <laughs> there's no music involved. Uh, <laughs> So um, we're going to start off today um, with what I think is a very, very intriguing um, uh, sort of little story, which is, you know, people are not exactly willing to, to stick their neck out and say anything positive or negative on this because Pep Guardiola has, um, in recent press conferences, denied all knowledge or indeed intent of any desire to move to Juventus. However, rumours persist and I'm very, very intrigued as well to know, Roger, you're obviously um, based in Italy. You know people who are close to Juventus. Can you just give a little bit of insight and knowledge on what you've been hearing about uh, a Guardiola and a possible appointment, if not now, but sometime in the future? Well, uh, you know, it's around, you know, I don't follow the, the whole marketplace the way you guys do, but, you know, there's people in my network that, you know, on, on social media, you know, DMing, they'll, 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 they'll kind of like tease you with some things. And I got a text probably around Sunday night, Monday, um, saying it's done. 
And, you know, um, I said, what? And they said, um, Pep's, Pep's coming to Juve. And, you know, this guy's very, very credible. You know, like, he's not a journalist. He's not uh, anybody that, that is making his living out of saying things like this. Uh, he's just very, very close to big business in Italy. Um, the, the, he's a, a Juventus fan. And uh, I went through what I'm sure you guys do in all of these situations. I went through the devil's advocate questions, you know, and uh, I went through them all. You know, he'll never leave there. He's too uh, linked in with the, the city group. His brother's involved. He's got Spanish guys on the board there that he likes. Um, and, uh, you know, then all of those were knocked down. And then I came back and I said, well, and, my, and, and this is a, something you guys rightly say all the time. The Arab investors very rarely let somebody go that they want to let go. So I said this to, to this guy. I said, look, you know, they won't let him go. Even if he wants to, they won't let him go. And they said, nobody says no to the Agnellis. That was the line, guys. Nobody says no to the Agnellis. And, um, you know, I started speaking to some people just to, you know, like pass some time. I even reached out to, to Duncan. I said, look, that's my information. And this was probably uh, two, two and a half days ago. And the story wasn't what it is today now in England because it's starting to get picked up. My information is the deal is done. Um, whether that means that the contracts have been signed or not, I don't know. Uh, because the complexity of trying to extricate him from that will, will be enormous. Um, I don't think, in my opinion, it's a, you know, let's do it now for a year's time. That's not the Juventus style. And, and I think one of the other things that your listeners should think about, because a lot of them, especially the younger ones, won't get this, but, you know, in the grand scheme of football, let's say kudos, Man City isn't Juventus. Now, a lot of young people won't get that, as I say. A lot of people that aren't in England, that are in England, won't get that. But, you know, Pep is one of these traditionalists. He's come up through the school of... Uh, Cruyff and, um, and Barcelona and he's, he's, he's lived in Italy he understands what the, the, the league table of football glory is and Juventus is much much bigger than Man City he's, Pep isn't at United he's at City and it's very very different and you know my, my reading of this is that they clearly want him, they've, they've asked um, their senior players if, if uh, they would, they would want it, first of all, Cristiano, and, and they've got the green light. So, so they've, they've pushed on really, really hard. There's certainly been one meeting, maybe two, and, you know, they, they, are, they think they've got him. That doesn't mean they will get him, but, you know, that's my information, that he will be the manager of Juventus next season, not the one after that. So Pep's grand tour, Duncan, obviously has included Barcelona and Bayern Munich. I think Roger's absolutely correct to say that Pep is someone who respects the uh, traditional hierarchy of European football. Um, I think extricating himself, as, as Roger said, from Manchester City would be difficult, uh, given he's got a contract till 2021. Um, he's already said very publicly, I'm not going to Turin. Are there any circumstances, Duncan, in which you think that that could be the case for next season? Well... Guardiola was in Abu Dhabi yesterday, 
with um, the royal family there. So it, it must have been an interesting conversation when these stories started to come out in Italy that he had uh, agreed a four-year contract with one of their uh, great rivals for the Champions League, which, as we know, uh, is the, the trophy Abu Dhabi prizes above all others and the, and the central reason why they hired Guardiola at such great expense and rebuilt their club around him. Um, as you say, he's been absolutely adamant on the, the, the couple of occasions previously when the story's come out and he's been asked about it, that he will not be uh, going to Turin this summer. Um, I think Roger is 100% correct. The Agnelli family um, at Juventus want Guardiola and there's been uh, meetings between uh, their uh, sporting director, Fabio Paratici, and, and Guardiola, in which that um, desire and that offer has been made to him. Um, talking to people in Italy about this, uh, you know, very well respected and well connected uh, journalists who are close to Juventus uh, yesterday, um, they're basically saying the situation is crazy. Everyone wants to know whether this is actually going to happen or not. Um, there's been a lot of reporting, including um, this morning, I think, um, Agencia Italia did a piece not only specifying the dimension of the contract, 24 million euros a year, but that, yes. it, would be, that it would be signed on June the 4th and that he would be presented as Juventus manager on June the 14th. So that's, uh, that's putting yourself on the line in terms of reporting. You can't be more specific than that. Um, there is still huge scepticism. Um, certainly the briefing from Juventus yesterday was that Pep would not be the coach of the club for the 2019-20 season. Now that's a very specific briefing, which is not obviously not saying that he will not be the coach of the club uh, at, at some time. It's just saying will not be the coach for the next season. Around this, you've got a lot of discussion about who the coach will be and a lot of discussion that Maurizio Sarri is now favourite for the job, which again is quite a peculiar um, state for Juventus because Juventus are a club that um, tend to, to pick presentable um, well-spoken, well-dressed, dignified uh, coaches. And Maurizio Sarri, and, and coaches who won, um, coaches with a track record of success, Maurizio Sarri has none of those. None. Um, if, if he wins the Europa League uh, next week, that will be his first trophy as a coach. Um, so again, talking to people who know the game very well over there, know the club very well, they're bemused by the idea that Sarri is uh, being presented as the favourite for the job um, and also that Sari seems to think he's in a very strong position because we saw Sari yesterday talking about his Chelsea future and, and making this um, kind of grandiose statement that uh, if, if his future is to be decided on the basis of whether he wins the Europa League or not, he would, he'd, he'd rather leave the club. He doesn't want uh, his, his year's work to be judged on the basis of one match. Now, that's again, suggests to me a man who is very confident of his position. I, I, would, I would suggest overly confident of his position, given the club he's working for and what he's, he's delivered at Chelsea in that first season, his unpopularity with the fans. The fact that Chelsea twice came close to um, 
kicking him out during that season and putting an interim coach in. We know, as we've as we reported in the transfer window before, that he has a standing offer to become the AS Roma coach. Has uh, held talks with them earlier in the year. Roma thought they had him and have lost confidence in 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 hiring him and are now looking at alternative candidates and have, have entered negotiations with the Atalanta coach, who people close to that club say um, is likely to go to Roma. So that would suggest that, that Sari is indeed, um, or at least believes he's in a strong position for Juventus. Now, why would they want someone like Sari if they have ongoing conversations with Pep Guardiola? My take on that could be if you're only looking for, if you, if you have a commitment from Guardiola that his next club is going to be in Italy, and that if he comes to Italy, he would like to coach Juventus. Then you're in the kind of situation that Manchester City were before they hired Guardiola. They had been trying to um, recruit the guy for a long period of time. They changed their chief executive, their, uh, their director of football in order to facilitate that. Um, they thought they had him um, after uh, he... Uh, uh, left to go to was ready to leave to Barcelona they tried again while he was at Bayern Munich they got themselves in a position where they got a commitment from, from him and they needed an interim coach who, who was Pellegrini um, Sarri and Guardiola are quite good, good friends the football isn't the same but it's not far away from each other so if you were if you were confident that you were going to hire Pep Guardiola in a year or two years time and you wanted an interim coach, that would actually be quite a sensible transition in terms of preparing the team um, for his style of football. And I, and I think that would be something that Sari would be prepared to go along with, given that it would get him back to Italy, it would put him in charge of the, the biggest team in Italian football and almost guarantee of the Serie A title, adding all those trophies that aren't on his CV at present. So that, that could be a good solution for um, all parties. Um, I think the one other element here, the wild card here in terms of can you get Guardiola out this summer, which I think if Juventus have the, the feel they can do that, and as Roger has told us, um, Guardiola hasn't said no to them, so you would always think, okay, maybe we can get him to come here earlier. It's what happens with UEFA, what happens with the football authorities and their investigations of Manchester City and the punishments that could come down. Were UEFA to come down as hard as some people want them to do on Manchester City and ban them for the Champions League, not just for one season, but for multiple seasons, um, possibly put restrictions on their transfer activity, uh, limit their spending on wage bills. There's a range of sanctions open to them. Were they to... Uh, significantly damage that Manchester City project, then I think that would be a potential escape route for Guardiola. He could say, look, um, I didn't, I've committed for an extra two years. I wanted to stay at this club, but the environment has changed. Um, I had nothing to do with this club being sanctioned. This is down to the owners and down to the, the people running the club. I've said in press conferences time and time again that I don't know what, what went on there, but the owners um, and the managers have told me that they didn't break the rules and I have confidence in them. Was that to change to the point where the club was found guilty and punished? Then potentially he could use that as a kind of public excuse and, and perhaps even from a contractual basis to try and get leverage on um, terminating his contract early. 
Roger, you've served on um, UFA committees in your, in your career. Mm. You still retain relationships yeah. uh, with people um, who are there. How? What's your sense? Do you sense there is a desire, a hunger to punish Manchester City in such uh, a dramatic and obviously uh, very, very public way for any transgressions of financial fair play? Um, and indeed as we know from the ECA, um, there are other factors at, uh, at work here where people in the, as we talked about, the traditional elite clubs are lobbying hard for Manchester City to be suspended. Well, that's a very, very big question and, and we need to break it down a little bit. Um, in isolation, would UEFA want to uh, maintain the credibility of FFP and in some ways make an example of Man City? Yes. Would you do that as UEFA at the same time that there are tens of billions of pounds out there uh, talking about a breakaway league? Um, the Realpolitik suggests you probably wouldn't want to fight too many battles on different fronts. Um, I don't think uh, going after Man City and FFP just now is is something that UEFA... My gut would be that they would, they would, they would burn all bridges with it just doesn't make sense when the Super League's around. I think Duncan is right in a lot of things he says. I mean, almost everything I would agree with. I would just make a, an extra uh, point on what Juventus is, you know, the style of Juventus. You know, um, it's very difficult to explain for somebody that's not in Italy. Um, the Agnelli family's about as close as European royalty as you can get. Um, so, you know, they've got Ferrari, they've got Fiat obviously get Juventus uh, and when I said to the guy you know like you know uh, I don't buy this uh, I don't buy this uh, they said look you know they're not going to take a step down if they've got rid of Allegri it's because they, they believe that in terms of brands they can go even higher and and when you think who's higher than Allegri in terms of brands there's only a couple maybe one maybe two and there's certainly a, a leader and that's Pep so you know, when you think about what Juventus and Andrea Agnelli has done over the last five years, uh, changing the logo, now this year changing the, the, the famous strip, uh, making it very much a, a publishing and entertainment brand, uh, Pep fits in with all of that. And Juventus, when Agnelli wants something, they usually get it. If it was a kind of like, let's have a holding manager for a, for a time, I don't think they would go for Sarri. Because as Duncan rightly says, he doesn't tick any of those style boxes that are so important for the Agnellis. They, they, they would probably, if they were going down that route, go for somebody exactly like Gasparini, who is an ex-Juventus guy, clean, won't make too much noise, speaks well. Um, and, he, and that would have been the kind of profile that would have very easily accepted the honour of a year or two years to do Juventus and then step aside. Sarri's a bit of a stubborn old guy, you know, and I, I just don't see him, I don't see him buying that line, Duncan. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you, Roger, and that's actually very similar to you know one of the assessments I had um, on Sarri earlier in the week when that story came out was he effectively he's a stubborn old man and he doesn't fit Juventus. That's why I wonder if it, it's it's a red herring um, and that Juventus are putting him his name out and using another interim manager. But I also um, agree with you uh, that the Allegri thing should be factored in here because that was a decision by Juventus yes. to dismiss Allegri. 
Um, and I, I give you a briefing here that's come from someone extremely close to Max Allegri was that he was dismissed. He'll be paid a year's um, compensation. He's considering uh, very strongly taking a sabbatical for that year to recover his energies. His view was that he was sacked because Paratici and Pavel Nedved, the vice chairman, yeah. wanted him out. Um, but Andrea Agnelli himself wanted to keep him and that he has an agreement um, from Andrea Agnelli that were he to take another job inside that year period, they would pay his compensation regardless, even though contractually they don't have to do so, as a kind of thank you for his, his work at Juventus. So they, they had the possibility to retain the man, although Agnelli, uh, sorry, Allegri himself has been considering his future at Juventus for some time and it has been looking for other opportunities. But yeah, in principle, it would make more sense to retain Allegri for another year if you had this agreement with Guardiola that he would, he would, he would come, but not come this summer yeah. um, and, uh, and take, and take uh, Guardiola when he came. So yeah, I see your rationale there. And I think, I think Duncan, you know, um, I know we had a, a, an off, an off uh, air uh, discussion uh, on Twitter, on the whole Rob Harris stuff, right now, um, I'm telling you, you know, when you're in the public eye like that, and you've done something that's never been done in football before in England, the treble, and somebody comes at you from left field with stuff like that, whether you think it's a good question or not a good question, that's not the point I'm making. I'm saying this: put yourself in Guardiola's shoes. You've got a whole lot of uncertainty, like Ian said about what's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm playing in the Champions League. Uh, I've got bans on transfers. And this journalist asked me this, tell you what, go and take a flying. You know what I mean? And, yep. you know, and Juventus come in exactly at the right moment because they're masters at this. And when the Agnellis want something, they always get it. I, I think that's very, very insightful, actually, Roger. Um, here's two scenarios, one historical, one hypothetical. The historical one is that, that Pep Guardiola has already shown himself to be someone who doesn't shy away from the drama. No one was expecting him to announce his uh, it was quitting Barcelona when he did so. He was on the crest of a wave, albeit, of course, they lost La Liga title in that final season to Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid. But he was unsackable. So um, he decided to, that he had had enough. He was burnt out. He took a sabbatical, etc., etc. After that, he goes to Bayern Munich. And at the Christmas party of Bayern Munich in the final year of his contract, he's approached by Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and asked directly, if you like, in vino veritas, <laughs> and said, be straight with us, tell me where you're going. And he said, OK, I'll tell you where I'm going. Manchester. Didn't say City United, just said Manchester. At that point, they started looking for a new coach. So the hypothetical um, scenario that I will then now propose is that he has towed the party line from Manchester City and from Abu Dhabi absolutely religiously with regards to this club has told me they've done nothing wrong. I believe the people who I work for. Therefore, I'm telling you, I've done nothing wrong. We have done nothing wrong. There's not going to be sanctions. There's not going to be a ban. There's not going to be a transfer ban or a Champions League ban. And you will find out when these parties who are, and again, briefed by Manchester City to the media in a witch hunt against us, you will find out when we're cleared of all charges. Now, hypothetical scenario, 
They're not cleared of all charges. They're given a Champions League ban. They're given a transfer ban. What does Saint Pep do? He rubs it. He just washes his hands of it and says, "I've been working for liars. They told me that nothing was wrong. Nothing was done wrong, and it, there was definitely no bans coming our way. And of, for that reason, I feel absolutely, um, uh, in my own um, personal uh, sort of career and choices to be made." I feel that I can now leave and say I can't work for people who have lied to me, and therefore I'm joining Juventus. Now, personally, I think the chances of all of that are, you know, not stacked against, but I'd say they were probably odds against rather than odds on. But if that is a scenario which prevails, I would not rule out Pep Guardiola coaching Juventus next season. Let, let me add two elements to this. Um, one. Uh, with that discussion I had, and we both had, about uh, Pep Guardiola being the spokesman for Manchester City and saying uh, the bosses have told me we've done nothing wrong um, and it's got nothing to do with me. What Roger mentions about the Rob Harris question after the FA Cup final is very pertinent to that because the question which Pep Guardiola refused to answer uh, was, have you had um, part of your salary paid off book via... Um, Abu Dhabi as the previous manager um, is alleged to do and as evidence has been presented happened with him, Roberto Mancini. Now, if that was the case, and, and we have to say if, if that was the case, then Pep Guardiola's defence that he knows nothing about it, about the, the rule breaking, is broken because he will have been part of the rule breaking by taking part of his salary um, off book. So, uh, the, the idea that this has angered him and um, is an element in, in the thought that it's time to get out um, isn't perhaps such a bad one. And then independently, um, talking to someone close to Guardiola um, about uh, a proposal that was made to him by another football club recently and uh, uh, trying to assess whether he'd be ready to leave and at what stage he'd be ready to leave, their view was... Pep has always been very good at judging the right moment to leave a football club. I'll just yep. leave that there. The deal's done, guys. Listen, everyone, you've heard it here first. Roger Mitchell, the deal is done. <laughs> if you're gonna, if if you're of a, a punting, uh, well, look, look at the bookies. Like, just look at the bookies. There's really is that wrong. right, Roger? I've yeah. not, I've not, I've not odds on, that. odds on. Really? Yeah, odds on. Well. And, said, and, and by the way, I was going to interrupt, but I never do with Duncan because it's such a beautiful flow. Um, you know, like this stuff, you know, like um, this stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. It was just like Brendan Rogers, wasn't it? I'm definitely not going. I'm definitely not going. It's, that doesn't mean anything these days. The only, anything football, Roger, absolutely right. Um, absolutely correct. It's, it's the, the only thing that will stop this is some serious, heavy geopolitical stuff. You know, I mean, like big stuff that um, that that we don't deal with that 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 um, goes beyond. You know, involves his brother, everything like that. That's the only stuff thing that, that will stop this. He wants to go. They want um The terms have been agreed. Let's see if they can get it over the line. I'll be very very interested in if anyone is refusing to sell oil to Italy in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> good, good point. <laughs> Very good point. Well, you said geopolitical. That's the first yeah, yeah. thing I thought of. Well, there you go. Very good point. 
So now, listen, we want to do a quick bit of transfer update news um, before we head into our, our discussion on Man United's search for director of football and the twists and turns that's taken. Duncan, you've got some news about Manchester City and a certain right back. Yes, it's some news that's come out in, in Portugal uh, yesterday um, that Manchester City are interested in Jean Cancelo from Juventus, only been there one season. Uh, as uh, one of their signings this summer. Um, I've checked where it came from in Portugal and it's from a, a very respected journalist there. He usually gets his information right. I've checked it uh, with Jean Cancelo's representatives and been told, yes, there is um, a strong interest from Manchester City. Um, too soon to say that the deal will be done, but uh, it's a possibility makes a lot of sense if you look at um, Manchester City's weaknesses. Uh, Kyle Walker, I don't think, has had a good season. He's been left out on occasions by uh, Pep Guardiola um, for poor performances. I think Cancelo would be a clear upgrade and a better fit to his kind of football in Manchester City. Whatever they feel is happening with Guardiola will be recruiting on the basis that um, he will be there next season. Um, and the backup option, Danilo, is one who's been barely been used at City. So you could see, envisage a scenario either where they, they tried to sell Kyle Walker, which I think would be difficult um, because of the expense involved and, and his very high wages there. Uh, and it would almost certainly have to beat another English club. Or they move Danilo on um, and bring Cancelo in to basically to supplant um, Walker as first choice and blend him into that team gradually and probably in, the, in his first season until he took over from him. So one of, um, I think, a number of moves that Man City will make in the market this summer that we uh, will we'll keep you up to date on in the window. And just before my next question to Roger, I just want to fill our listeners in on a little bit of knowledge that maybe some of you don't have. Roger lives in the beautiful uh, town of Como on the lake, Lake Lago di Como. Now, it's traditionally a place where the players of both AC and Internazionale, uh, Milan, uh, like to set up home and, uh, and, and bring themselves around that gorgeous uh, countryside there. I, I'm very fortunate to have been there a few times and um, uh, I recommend lunch at Villa Deste any day of the week. Uh, other, other restaurants are available. However, um, Roger, you have got a little bit of, kind of, a little bit of uh, information regarding Romelu Lukaku, who's been linked to a move to Inter, with Antonio Conte obviously going there as coach, and possibly the departure of Ivan Perisic. Yeah, uh, if, if I can, um, tell me if I can. If I can, I'd like to mention Cancelo a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, Cancelo um, is one of these modern fullbacks that very, very good going forward, incredibly good going forward, uh, but lacking in the defensive side. And, you know, these kind of fullbacks have been the, the, the flavour of uh, the last two or three years very clearly. And I, I'm, I think we may be starting to see the end a little bit of that trend. Uh, and what I mean by that is I think we may be going back to fullbacks that can actually defend. And, and, and Cancelo isn't one of them. Um, in terms of how Juventus would look, uh, on a player like him, and this backs up what, what you've both been saying, I don't think they would say that he's not, as they say in Italian, cedibile. he's not mm -hmm. uh, able to be sold. Um, yeah. for, for somebody like Cancelo, that's a question of price. If the price is right, he's gone. Uh, Man City, those two right-backs they've got are just awful. Um, I, I don't know how they, they got there. And like Kyle Walker is, is I, I just think, a dreadful player. 
uh, and, and Danilo, if you listen to somebody like uh, Fabio Capello, uh, anytime on commentary, uh, is on his back from minute one. So neither of those two... Uh, <laughs> Neither of those two are up to it. So it makes sense, and it's probably true. And if the money's right, he won't beat Turin next year. In terms of Lukaku, um, Inter in general, you know, before we talk about any specifics about Inter, you need to say one thing. If they don't get into the Champions League, all bets are off. Because the monies that they would get for that would allow them to get rid of Spalletti, which they want to do. But, you know, getting rid of him and his staff is like, tens of millions of pounds. These are numbers that are astonishing. We may come back to that whole thing later. Tens of millions of pounds then. More money to get somebody like Conte in. And, you know, they like Conte, but, you know, they're not sure about him. You know, it's, it's a different style. Maybe they want to go for a more kind of like, you know, younger, northern European type style. The guy that's at Ajax, for example. They're thinking about the way to do that. Uh, Conte would be extremely expensive. Perisic is a problem for him, for them, because he, he, it's been a couple of years he wants out. He's famously fallen out with uh, Icardi. Um, uh, so that, that's not going to be uh, a, 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 something that can continue. And, and, you know, this is one of these opportunistic things. Lukaku hasn't worked in Man United. Uh, Perisic has been mentioned in Man United in the past. So there's probably something in this. Lukaku, I think, would be Luther Blissett bad in Italy. He, I think it would be a disaster. Um, Perisic, I think, would do okay in Man United because he's got a good work ethic. Um, so I think this is a swap that could actually happen, guys. I, I'd like to add, please, to our collective um, dictionary. We've been doing this recently, Roger, as you know. We've got the Nico Gaetan Ruse. Now we're going to have the Luther Blissett bad. <laughs> a description of, of how someone potentially could not be good but actually be very bad <laughs> uh, and of course for the younger listeners that was when he moved from Watford to AC Milan and I think it took them about six weeks to realise that he couldn't play football <laughs> <laughs> did I, to be fair, I, I seem to remember those uh, those those weeks. They were particularly difficult watching on the uh, painful for Italia. him, mainly mainly for him. Painful. They were. They were. So I um, think um, I think with Lukaku, it's it's very much the case he's looking um, to get out of Manchester United because Solskjaer um, has made it clear he's not his first choice uh, as forward. He's actually, if you look at the numbers, he was again the leading scorer. Uh, for Manchester United, subtracting out the huge number of penalty kicks that Paul Pogba got to take. So his his production for the team's not been bad at all in the three years he's there. Whether he's actually good enough to be uh, the top-line striker for a team like Manchester United is another matter. Antonio Conte tried to sign him at Chelsea uh, loves him as a player. Actually, the, the, the story was, was was expecting Marina Granovskaya to do that deal for him um, in the, the summer he went to Manchester United, but the story is that Marina Granovskaya didn't actually do anything substantial in the negotiation process and just led Conte to believe that she was attempting to sign that <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> well, since she signed Alvaro Morata in his place, you could argue... I like Morata. I, like, I must admit, I like Morata, but there you go. Lukaku's a flat-track bully. You know, like, at a certain level, he can't cut it, guys. And, and you two know that. You know, like, and, and you can't come to a Champions League top-level team and think Lukaku's your answer. You just can't. I think, I think that the, the thing with Lukaku is there's very few strikers of that 
physical dimension in the game anymore. So if you want one of those, then he has become one of the top options to do it. I mean, to, we can bring in Moussa Dembele here at Lyon and previously at Celtic, who has significant amount of interest in him from scouts simply because he's got that kind of physical presence up front that there, there are very few centre forwards of his type. So the, the clubs that are considering um, signing someone like him are looking at him and saying, okay, can he make that next step up? But I think, I think you're right. There aren't, there are very few now of that, of the big centre forward, um, Lewandowski, I guess, would be the, the arch example, who are consistent um, deliverers of goals and can fit into teams playing more technical football. Um, yeah, if, Conte, right. if Conte takes that job, he will try and get Lukaku. Um, uh, Conte's Marotta's favourite for the job. Um, Marotta's essentially been given the um, authority by Inter's owners to appoint the next coach, which is why they didn't have any conversations with Jose Mourinho about that job, um, which was one of the ones he was considering if the conditions were right for him. Waited a long time for them to get in touch, but it didn't happen because Marotta got the go-ahead to, to concentrate on Conte. I, I hear what you're saying about Champions League revenue being very important here. Conte will not be cheap, even though he's finally managed to secure um, a huge one-year payoff from Chelsea um, after the Premier League tribu tribunal uh, ruled on his disciplinary case this week. And, and he will not be cheap in terms of he will want very good players in um, to build his team around. He shares an agent with Romelu Lukaku, um, which is another factor sure. uh, which will obviously help facilitate that deal. And I don't think Manchester United will in any way stand in the way if they get a significant offer for him. Whether they'd be prepared to take Perisic as part of the deal, I have, I have significant doubts about that, given that we know... Um, Josie Mourinho had pushed uh, to sign Perisic last summer um, and Edward would block that deal because of the cost and the age of the player. Um, and we know they're looking at other players in, in that position and, and have done work on those deals, including Nicola Pepe, um, Jaden Sancho, who I think is, is now difficult for them to get. So I'd be surprised if they go for Perisic, but it wouldn't surprise me if um, at all if Inter were to offer him to them. And um, maybe Ian has some insight on other clubs that uh, that Perisic is of interest to in in the Premier League. Yeah, I, look, the, the, the bare sort of uh, bones of this particular um, tale is that uh, Perisic has displeased his uh, his current club uh, with um, his contract demands and uh, different statements he's made um, over the last few weeks and months, and um, mandates have been issued for his sale. Uh, he would like to come to the Premier League in England because he sees that he would get big wages in England and as his last contract as a player of his age um, that would be significantly um, uh, beneficial for him financially so uh, I would expect there to be significant well I'd expect there to be certainly general interest in Perisic who is a very skillful player and a very effective player as well um, in England this summer uh, I, I would be surprised if um interest in him wasn't uh, renewed by Arsenal potentially by Spurs I think uh, what I'm told is around a 35 million euro price tag Wow, he's, a, he's, he's actually very very good value for money even though you're not going to get a resale value out of him but that, that's a very realistic fee for a player of his age 
but also I think a very valuable one for a player of his experience and quality. So, yeah, I, I would expect to see Perisic leave, but in terms of Lukaku, I'm not sure that that would be a straight swap um, in terms of your Manchester United. I don't think that's necessarily what they're, do- what they're going to do. Uh, what I do have to say, though, is that in the last sort of 10 minutes or so, the producers of some very, very popular um, American TV series called Breaking Bad have been in touch to get Roger Roger's contact details. They want to do Luther Blissett Bad as a kind of football <laughs> football version. Of well, listen, if, if we want to get a little bit sillier, I've got a whole lot of stuff we can talk about. Zaniolo. Well, Zaniolo's mother, if you want to talk about that. He <laughs> carved his wife. We, we could go a whole different there route we go. if we wanted to. It could be, Let it could you be. enjoy yourselves. The, what, the, the, the football wags of Lake Como is another one, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. listen, moving, moving seamlessly from, uh, from Manchester United and Lukaku's departure to Manchester United's search for a solution to what obviously is a difficulty at that club in terms of recruiting players. Lots of criticism, much of it you've heard here on the Transfer Podcast, we're pleased to say, uh, for Ed Woodward and the Glazers in terms of the players that they have bought and the expense that they've gone to in the last four or five years. Um, And we've been speaking, as you will all know, for probably five months now about their search for director of football. It seems that rather than director of football, they are now thinking about emulating Liverpool's, of all clubs, form of uh, and theory of uh, putting together a transfer committee of three former players to identify and then help to recruit future Manchester United signings. The three names mentioned are Nicky Butt, who's currently head of academy at Old Trafford, and Darren Fletcher, former captain, and also Rio Ferdinand, former captain and centre-half at Manchester United. Uh, Duncan... (laughs) Are you are you kind of confused by by this kind of it seems like a scattergun approach? First of all, it was going to be one guy who's in charge and and who could answer to the board. Now they're talking about a committee who aren't necessarily employed by the club, just as consultants, and then they would recommend. I mean, what, what do you make of this? I'm not confused at all. Um, I think it fits with what I've been hearing from the club and what I've been hearing from uh, people who have presented their credentials as technical directors to Manchester United when they heard, uh, when it was made clear by Woodward and and the club that they wanted to appoint the club's first technical director, sports director, to head up recruitment. And I think we talked about this for the first time on the podcast a couple of months ago, which was they'd been offered interviews with top, absolute top operators in European football and turned them down. And the sense was that actually um, Edward Ward wanted to retain control over transfers, was likely to appoint a former player, certainly someone who um, would be put in in place for PR purposes, um, rather than to have a decisive role in transfers, would be allowed to get involved in the process, but wouldn't make the final decisions. I think this idea of a transfer committee is very clever from that perspective, that PR perspective, because it ticks two boxes. You're saying, ah, look, Liverpool um, got to where they are, our great rivals, by having this transfer committee and clever signings. So let's let's take on their model. Um, and we're not only going to give you one former player, we're going to give you three former legends in charge of, of transfers at Manchester United. Um, so, you know, Three, three for the price of one. Except if those people don't actually have authority, don't if they're if they're only giving recommendations, 
what's the point in it? Moreover, if you're the transfer committee at Liverpool is is based around uh, very experienced scouts, um, a uh, an analytics team which has um, worked on their algorithms for quite a while and has got more effective as they, as they've had them in place. It's built around long-term transfer specialists essentially, whereas what you'd be talking about here is. Um, people who have never operated in the transfer market before and Nicky Butt, who at least has been head of academy and therefore would have a, an input into recruitment at, albeit a much uh, lower level, for a couple of years. But it, it, it just strikes me as a, as a sop to the fans and another way in which um, Woodward can actually retain control over transfers, take a little bit of pressure off, off himself, uh, retain the responsibility, uh, retain the, the control, but not have the responsibility. Because if things go wrong, he can say, "Well, I put this new transfer committee in place. I brought Rio Ferdinand or Darren Fletcher or Nicky Butt into the process, and and they got it wrong." Um, even though in reality, it might actually be Ed Woodward who's making the final decisions in tandem, to a certain extent, with the coach. Um, so it's, it strikes me as a way of buying time rather than doing anything um, better at Manchester United. From what I've heard, uh, Duncan, um, from people who have been involved um, either inside or slightly just on the outer um, side of these discussions, the main uh, worry for the people who um, are involved with regards to a prospective structure at Manchester United, which um, puts in recruitment, effective recruitment consultants as ex-players, is that why should we risk our reputation with the Manchester United fans when we have actually no final authority to sign the player? I.e., as you just said, um, it sounds like Woodward and the Glazers are abnegating their responsibility while retaining their power. And if I were any anyone, never mind one of those three players, I certainly wouldn't be putting my stock and my reputation at Manchester United um, on the line for someone else's mistakes. And from what I've heard, when the question has been asked repeatedly, um, so if I recommend a player, I do the research, I go meet him, I go meet his family, I meet his agents, etc., etc., and I tell you the player wants to come and he will benefit Manchester United on the pitch, and then you say, oh, he's not quite a Manchester United player, then I do not want to be involved in a process where all of my work has been undermined by a simple refusal to sign of the project. And I think that's a very big problem for Manchester United because, as we've seen, they have dilly-dallied in regards to a director of football. There's now this new sort of scheme come up with as a transfer committee. Will they still appoint a DOF? Will they, will they still go through with a transfer committee? But the bottom line is that the same people who've been making the same mistakes for the last five, six years will be the people with the power. They'll just be able to blame any duds on someone else. Now, Roger, I know that you have um, spoken to people in football business side of things, and they are probably quite bewildered about how transfers are conducted and indeed the fees and that are paid, not just for players, but the commissions to agents as well with regards to recruitment. Um, What's your view on exactly you know how this works? Is it out of is it out of control? Well, I think you used a phrase earlier that's an excellent one: scattergun. You know, let's take one small step back. The the numbers we are talking about now, 
you know, 200 million investment, 300 million investment over the course of a contract, including wages. These are amounts the size of the GDP of small countries. You know, in normal business, and remember, the financiers of football now are big money. They are PE funds, they're, they're people like Liberty Media, CVC, uh, Elliott, uh, Lionsgate, and Inter. You know, they're not used to spending these kind of numbers, rightly so, without process. So when you're saying, should it be one guy, should it be another guy, should there be a committee? I, I, I think the main point is that there needs to be what I would call a professional business approach. So what does that mean? You know, like these are the conversations I've had with people, you know, over a beer or something like that. You know, there's basically three types of guys that work in the transport uh, industry. There's the ones that, let's call it, spot a player, have an eye for a player, know how the, the, the player market works, have got contacts. Guys like Sabatini, you know, guys like Leonardo. Um, there's not so many of them in English football. Maybe that's an issue. Um, people who, let's say, know, know the, the landscape. Then you've got the data-driven guys, the ones that you mentioned earlier. Um, they're the ones that can tell you, look, you know, this kind of player, you know, after March, he never really does it because he kind of runs out of juice. You know, he's normally, um, you know, if you put somebody press on him, you know, he doesn't enjoy the same kind of like pass completion if it's in his face. That kind of deep data, which is hugely valuable, those two together are necessary. And most, most cases, they aren't together. But there's a third one. The third one is what I would call the classic recruitment consultant. You know, like when business hires a new chief executive for Fiat or for uh, Siemens or something like that, you know, you've got your CV, you've got your interviews, and then they hire guys like Crawl, you know, like investigative companies that make sure they know what your, your, your backstory is, what your values are, uh, who you hang out with, are, are you faithful to your wife? Uh, all of these kind of things, because they are investing in a person. This doesn't happen in football. And the PE guys, in the main, are astonished that this doesn't happen. So they get the idea that one could be like, I go on my nose, I know a player, I've got an eye for a player. They can get the idea that you do it on analytics and maybe you try and put them together. But what they want and what will come, guys, because the numbers are too big, is the third, uh, uh, is the third leg of the stool, which is the rounded psychological uh, assessment of the human resource. And that is what Man United need. Well, Duncan, I think um, Roger's speaking my language. What do you think? <laughs> I think I know someone who's quite good at doing those sort of assessments on players, um, but it might not be a might not be a person who's used as much as it could be in the football. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, and that, I didn't joke there. Roger will explain off air. Well, I'm sure. I mean, like Ian, if you do that kind of thing, let me tell you, that is a great business to be in now because this is going to be a boom activity in the next five ten years. If you've got private equity. Uh, more and more underwriting 10 billion a year for a super league, they are going to start calling the shots and they are going to insist on process where guys, whether it's you, whether it's somebody else that can do that with EQ, with intelligence, that is a great business to be in. Ian. 
So you can tell Roger is a, an absolutely su superb communicator because he, he just does the seamless transitions between our, our uh, discussions. He's already mentioned the European Super League. And obviously, um, if those of you who don't follow him, it's at RPM Como. And if you check out his tweets from the last four months, you will see that Roger was one of the people who was speaking about a possible breakaway European Super League long before it went into the, the press and the, and the general media and also uh, was denied by UEFA very haughtily, it has to be said, um, when they were questioned about it. And lo and behold, what happens about ooh, a month later, um, they admit that, yeah, they're going to have to be changes to the Champions League because the ECA and the elite clubs are desperate to, yet again, either have change or indeed protect their um, own interests in terms of the Blue Ribbon competition every uh, year. Now, Roger, you're party to a lot of these kind of, um, let's just say, off-the-record stroke lobbying type conversations. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, um, how, how far away are we from a European Super League? And if we are, if we are to see it, in the next few years, what needs to happen? Um, what process will have to be gone through to break the hegemony that we currently have? Well, uh, your question is, uh, will it happen? I, I don't think that's in doubt anymore. I think it is who will be running it. You know, uh, the story of the last 20 years is that UEFA have reduced the, the angle percentage to get closer to 90 degrees uh, when any time the big clubs say we're about to break away. And that's the story of the changes to the Champions League. They, they strong arm them with the threat of a breakaway and UEFA cave. So when you see UEFA now talking about all these different changes, so you've got private equity firms now who have decided to put football in their sites and they are pretty much openly saying we are prepared to underwrite um, the top clubs to, for 10 billion a year to give them all each about 700 million a year to break away. The clubs, led again by our friend Danielli, um, has gone to UEFA and saying, well, what are you going to do about this? Because this is, this is very attractive. And uh, UEFA all of a sudden come out with a lot of very interesting proposals to completely re re revolutionise uh, the Champions League because that's how they react. So will the Super League happen? Most definitely. Will the numbers be of that kind of magnitude? Most definitely. Who will be running it? Who will be badging it up? Will it be UEFA? I think it probably will be. If not, will it be called Private Equity League? Whatever. Maybe doesn't really matter. The point is that football is about to polarise. It's about to become very much dominated by what I call dry, cold, big finance. And, you know, what you're seeing all around is the effects of this fragmentation. And like, as you see, you know, I do kind of like witter on on my own podcast and stuff like this. It's a little bit like the music industry that I, that I worked in, where you had a bundled product called an LP, where you had uh, two or three hits and, and six or seven or eight uh, filler tracks. And technology completely ripped that apart. Um, it's, it's what's going to happen to, to football. There is no market in the world now that is interested in Juventus versus Cable. Agnelli knows this, Juventus know this, Cable probably are in denial, but people that are, are smart realise that it's best to get ahead of this and manage it with EQ because those of us, like the three of us on this call, 
know that losing Liverpool Everton is tragic. But the big money doesn't know that. So it's up to people like us to try and advise them to do this because it's inevitable to happen, but do it with intelligence and with a feel for the traditions for the sport. Duncan, is this a good or a bad thing for football? I, well, let's, let's stick with the expert here and the person who, who has the information. I, mean, we, I can talk about whether I think it's a good or a bad thing on any podcast, but we don't have this opportunity very often. So two questions for you, Roger. One, would you see FIFA trying to steal this league from UEFA? And secondly, and maybe this is a, uh, an optimistic one, um, as someone who's been involved in the construction of a, of a, of a, a, a redesigned um, football league in Scotland, how would you, if you had the, the ability to do so, how would you structure what you say is going to be an inevitable European Super League for the best interests of football and also to satisfy the guys who want to take the money from it at the same time? Well, the first question, I think, is a very astute one. I think that is why UEFA are between a rock and a hard place because they know Infantino uh, would love to have this. And um, Infantino, whether it's with Saudi wealth funds or whether it's with big PE, could probably do this quite quickly. So UEFA are, are, are in a kind of like life or death fight just now. Make no mistake about that. So um, what should happen? Um I, I, what I would do, and, and any time I get the chance, I try and do it. I speak to these private equity guys and I say, you need to realize that this isn't American sport. You know, there needs to be promotion and relegation. You need to understand something that, you know, Ian said that, that we kind of link these things together. So let's bring it full circle. The, the hierarchy of, um, of European football, I'm sorry, but Ajax means more to all of us than Chelsea or Man City does. It just does. And certainly more than the Harlem Globetrotters of Paris Saint-Germain. That's the reality of it, as, as does Benfica, as does Celtic. And you could even go as far as Panathinaikos. So if I was like in a position to influence this, I would say to the private equity guys, let me do it in a way where those uh, values are recognised, where you've still got meritocracy, where if you mess up, you go down, you know, uh, and, and somebody who's doing really well comes up. That needs to be a sign. A closed league does not fit with European sporting values, Duncan. And do you think that's possible to attain, given that the, the, the driving factor is clubs like Juventus, uh, Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain wanting to to be in with guaranteed cash in that top top tier. That, that's the challenge because if, let, let, let's put ourselves in their shoes now. Let's go one by one. So you get somebody like Juventus who um, is dominating in Italy and frankly is getting a little bit bored. Um, their revenues are whatever they are. They're not 700 million a year. Uh, a Super League takes all the boxes for them as it does for Inter and as it does for Milan and possibly Roma as well. Um, other clubs, the same, Bayern Munich, PSG, you know, the same situation. The, this will come down to the English clubs, the famous big six, because at some point you have to draw the line. I don't think there's going to be six of them in there. So, you know, the ones that won't get in there will come out with comments like, we love the English league. 
we think it's doing everything we need to have. The, the Champions League is perfect. If you add a, a revenues from uh, English Premiership and the Champions League, we get close to 700 million. Leave things alone. So I see this as a battle between those six English clubs and you guys know what it's like when these things are always discussed and coming back to my experience, you never think you're the guy that's going to get relegated. You never do. And, and, and that's why these things are always discussed at the start of the season where hope springs eternal. These things can never get done in March when everybody looks, you know, and they see the trap door of relegation too close for comfort. So, but that's where the, the that's where the thing will be decided. Six English clubs and whether they feel that the current situation is comfortable enough for them or not. The other clubs in the other countries would sign on this afternoon if that money was there. And it is there. It's an underwritten an underwritten offer from private equity. Transfer window brethren. I would like to suggest that you download this particular episode and you say to all the people who are younger than you that you heard it here first. Pep Guardiola to Juventus, a Super League Europe in Europe will happen. Stick in a time capsule near a school or wherever it is you want to bury that time capsule so that it can be dug up in 50 years. And also Duncan and um, Roger and I will all be drinking in that big whiskey bar in the sky by that time. Or, or looking we, very, very silly. But we'll be toasting you. We will be toasting <laughs> you, when you when, when you say you heard it here first. Um, you're also going to hear first the very first, well, the very, the primary quick fire round of who would you quick fire? Um, and so what we've done is uh, obviously a very clever, you know, pun on quick fire uh, that you all recognise. But we're going to ask both Duncan and Roger for any administrator in European world football, even UEFA or FIFA, that they would quick fire first above anyone else and then uh, see if you guys agree with that because as always we love your uh, engagement and uh, we love the debate to continue with you guys so i'm going to go to uh well i'm going to go to roger first roger if you were to quick fire someone uh in world football who would be your first choice um i don't want to go too parochial because we know what content works for an audience or what doesn't <laughs> i'm going to leave scotland out of that i love that i love that <laughs> yeah you're, you're pandering to the audience well listen it's like we're in the entertainment game you you don't do we are this. we are um so it's show business now yeah it's, it's not administration yeah sure so so listen you know it's easy to say woodward right and i guess we're kind of leaning towards no, that leave that, to leave that to duncan well, well what i'm going to say is this you know People should be sacked if they've not delivered what their bosses want, right? Ed Woodward's delivered what his boss wants. So I don't think it's him. You know, as a football guy... As a, Controversial. But, I mean, is he delivering that dividend stream? Is he delivering... Yes, the, he is. You're absolutely right, yeah. Is he delivering the cash flow to pay down that leverage buyout? He is. You know, like, so let's... let's, let's not. He's not... You, the guy that should is sacked is somebody who is not doing what their bosses want. And, you know, um, I don't know who... I'm, give, give me a second, go to Duncan and I'll think about it. Go on. Duncan, then, you're going to come in with a counter-argument to sacking Edward Ward? Well, let's, let's do an administrator, a, uh, a chief executive and a coach. And my, admin, my choice in football administration would be Gianni Infantino um, on the basis that 
he came in as supposedly this new broom who was going to clean up FIFA and I do not see any uh, increased cleanliness in FIFA. I see them um, proposing to do things that will cause significant problems in the game. He's just had to back off on uh, turning the Qatar World Cup into a 48-team tournament, which should have been an absolute disaster. And I don't see the value in a 48-team tournament going forward either. Um, and uh, and done things like pushed VAR through in, in football without a proper... Um, process of uh, assessment and trial made it the centerpiece of the world cup and 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 had it and is about to have it put in place um as a result of that in uh, in the premier league for next season before it's uh, it's uh, in any sense a perfect product so i um in contrast to a lot of people i would much rather have uh, set blather um, back in charge of the game because i think he when he made changes to the rules of football uh, to the, the, the core product. He got those decisions right. He cleaned it up. Um, he made it uh, more attractive by um, doing as much as possible to take the hatchet men out of football. And, and he grew the sport in it and, and took it international, um, took it to Asia for the first time, took it to Africa for the first time for the, the World Cup, made it a truly global game. And um, he doesn't get a lot of credit for that. Um, and I don't see... Um, Infantino ever achieving something along those lines. So that's who I would quick fire. And, and at this point, we, we should point out for the, for the sake of um, you know fairness that Duncan has lived in Japan and South Africa. So let's just you know <laughs> have a little thought about that. Well, anyway, Duncan, you're going to execute three people, not just one. So who are your other two? No, let's go back to Roger now. Who, who, that's my Roger, Roger, you have you yeah, composed your of, thoughts? Yeah, in terms of administrator. Um, I'm not a fan of Blatter. And I hear what you're saying about Janney. Janney I know quite well because he was at the Swiss League when I was at the Scottish League. And I think he's done an amazing job in terms of getting as far as he did. You know, ambition is an amazing thing if you've got it in space. <laughs> um, the, 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 did, did I mention he looks very much like Niccolo Machiavelli? <laughs> yeah, and the reason I say that yeah. is because I was in, I was in um, Platini's office uh, when um, old Niccolo... Uh, Infantino was there too, and I could see his eyes light up when he re realised that um, he could very much supersede um, his boss then yeah. as the as the perfect uh, nomination for FIFA president by stabbing on the back several times. Anyway, that's another story. So I would go for whoever you want to name as head of the Italian FA in the last thirty years. It takes biblical, biblical skill to go from a position of utter dominance the way the Italians had in the 90s to where they are today with decrepit uh, stadia falling down and uh, the two big clubs uh, here in Milan, where they are. So anyone you, you care to mention there. Uh, in terms of chief executive, had a thought about it. I think it needs to be whoever's running Newcastle. Because, you know, I've talked about polarisation and a drawbridge coming up between haves and haves not, have nots. Newcastle could really be, have been one of those clubs. And I just think they've blown it. Um, I had a look with some people at, you know, the numbers there and even thinking about putting a bid together. And you could make that a really great club. So whoever's been running Newcastle would be the chief executive. Uh, and in terms of the coach... Um, I think, uh, I think, let's say, Gattuso takes some beating. You know, uh, this is the classic example of 
why interim managers are such a bad idea. We've had two high-profile ones in the last season. Uh, obviously, Gattuso and the other one, our friend at Man United, where it's a lose-lose for me. You know, if they do badly, you've wasted six months of transition. If they do well, you get pressure to appoint them, and they're probably not the right person. Otherwise, they would have got the job first off at, at the time. So um, Gattuso or Solskjaer would be the coaches, and the other two I mentioned. Well, it's been a fascinating um, podcast for this Friday. Um, I'm very grateful to Roger Mitchell for, for contributing to it. I'm sure you all are too. Um, as you know, we pride ourselves on bringing you information and insight, and I think we've had that in abundance today. If you want to continue the debate, then please uh, log on to our um, official podcast handle at Twitter, which is at Transfer Podcast. And also you can do it individually with us, which is at Duncan Castles and at RPM Como. Roger, I would invite you please to just uh, give us the links also to your podcast. I'm sure that people will be very, very interested to tune in and listen to you on a, a weekly basis. Yeah, um, our podcast is called uh, Are You Not Entertained? And the, the Twitter handle is ent Entertained R. That's the words, not the letter. Entertained R, where we talk about some of the things that we've talked about here today and whether sport is managing to hang on to its own authenticity. It bounces around all over the place. But I think, you know, one of the reasons I'm so happy to do this is because I really admired what you guys do. And, you know, I thought in some way I could maybe try and contribute to it. So it's been delightful. There's absolutely no doubt you've done that in spades, Roger. Thank you very much for coming on with us. Um, for, uh, it's time to uh, slam this particular transfer window podcast shut. But as I said, if you can continue to debate on the Twitter handles that we've given you. Also, if you like what you've heard, and thousands of you do, please get, uh, log on to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That means that we can enlarge our community and engage more football fans to get involved with us. Now... It's a big bank holiday weekend coming up, obviously. There's a small matter of a small uh, a Scottish Cup final for a treble treble for Celtic. That's just a personal thing. And also, uh, there's, the, there's, the, there's the biggest game in football, apparently. The most uh, financially uh, wealthy game in football, which is, of course, the championship playoff final on Monday. But fear not, even though we might or may not be watching the championship playoff final on Monday, we will be back for you with our Monday podcast as usual. For now, it's just for me to say thanks for listening and for the benefit of Mr. Mitchell, ciao, ciao, not arrivederci. Wonderful. Thanks, guys.